0: So much, Lisa, and thank you for the entire MAI convention group who has put together um, this amazing weekend. I was just speaking to the ladies before and was telling them, you know, for a living, I'm an event coordinator. (laughs) So I don't want to do these events on the weekend. So I just appreciate being able to attend and be of service. I know what it takes to put this together. So Um, thanks for that. I'll just start off by saying, my name is Jen A. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I do reside here in Littleton, Colorado where I've been born and raised my entire life. Um, And I'm gonna share to you today. I love the topic, Um, hope springs eternal, right? Finding joy in recovery. Uh, That's the theme for this weekend. And um, when I was asked to to make a title for the talk today I was like, oh, I'm terrible at this. (laughs) So I have a best friend in program and she resides in, um, California and I called her up and I said, Hey, Karen, they're asking me to speak. And here's the theme. And she and I just started rattling and talking and allowing God to come in. And she goes, Oh yeah, I got it. Yep. Full of it. So that's where the topic came today. We'll see where it goes. God's in charge. I don't really come with a script. I will say I did get up this morning and in prayer and meditation, ask God to just let the ink run through my pen onto paper and um, to just, just give me and noodle me the, I, the thoughts and ideas to share with you all today. Um, so what was it like for a girl like me growing up in this disease of compulsive overeating and not knowing that I was a compulsive overeater? Well, um, I, like you too, um, found comfort in food. Um, I wasn't the most popular kid. I wasn't, um, you know, uh, the prettiest girl in the room. Um, I, was, I was always picked last for sports. Um, I never had a date to the prom or the homecoming. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I never, just never felt like I measured up to people. Um, I was molested at age five, um, by a a workman who came to my parents' house. And I tell you guys all these things, you know, like I'm not a smart student. I wasn't the brightest tool in the shed. That's not what made me a compulsive overeater. And I want to be clear about that today, because when I came to the rooms of overeaters anonymous, I heard all of that, that people were saying like, this has happened to me. That's happened to me. This is why I eat. And uh, where I got really clear in this program of recovery was when I went to go see the doctor. And you're probably wondering who's the doctor in Overeaters Anonymous. His name is Dr. Silkworth and he resides in the, uh, in the first part of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. He's not even in the first 164 pages. Um, He's in all those Roman numerals, the X's and the I's and the V's that we all try and keep track of that. I still can't figure out and I'm not going to try to. And, um, Dr. Silkworth was the one that um, made it really clear to me that the reason why I ate wasn't because um, kids picked on me on the playground. It wasn't because I was sexually molested. It wasn't because of any of that. It was because I have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind um, and a spiritual malady. Let's not forget that, that lies deep down in my soul. And that's what kept me from being hopeful and experiencing joy in life. And so what I'll just say today is, um, you know, I, I first remember eating at age eight. I remember that first Twinkie. Um, and I remember stealing the Twinkies out of Leanne's pantry at her mom and dad's house, you know, we're upstairs playing Atari and I knew there was more downstairs. And I went to the pantry and I opened it up and I shoved all the Twinkies in my pockets and I ran to the bathroom and I started eating them left and right and left and right. And then I hid all the wrappers and then I went back upstairs and I still couldn't enjoy the game of like Ms. Pac-Man, right? Why? Because my mind was fixated on the food. You know, once I started ingesting those sweet and savory bites, I didn't want to stop. And I couldn't stop thinking about it, you know, and I don't know why I never knew why. And I didn't find this program until I was in my forties. You know, I went through life going up and down the scale. Uh, You know, I was. The pleasantly plump one as a kid, that's what the cleaning ladies called me. They said my sister and I are 18 months apart. Um, and they would walk into the house and they were like, Oh, I can't tell you apart from your sister. And I was like, Well, really? And they're like, the other lady goes, Oh, well, just look at her, honey. She's the pleasantly plump one. And I was like, seriously. And I ran to my room in shame. And when I went up to my room, I closed the door. And on the whole back entire wall of my room, it was plastered with pictures pictures from magazine from corner, from corner, from top to bottom of all these beautiful thin girls out of magazines. Glamour, Cosmopolitan, the Benetton ads, like I, the guest ads were my favorite growing up. You can tell how old I am, right? Victim of the eighties. And, um, so basically that was, that was me, right? Like I wanted to be that because I thought if I could just be thin, I would be okay. I would be loved. I would get invited to the prom. I would get that date. You know, I would find that guy, right? Um, not the case. Um, so I continued to eat. I ate all the way through elementary school. I ate all the way through high school. Um, I ate all the way through college. And I'm really sad that um, some of my pictures didn't turn out today. Um, My computers crashed. God has a sense of humor. But there was a picture of me. And um, I don't know about you all, but I went to college. And they tell you, you're going to gain like the freshman 15. from, And that's for the entire college year, right? Well, I went in August, came home in December, and I had gained 50 pounds. I mean, like my cheeks were out to here. I was just, my, my family looked at me and goes, what the hell happened to you? I'm like, oh, I found paradise, right? I found these um, venues where I could go and eat and they had the soft serve station where you could just keep serving yourself more soft serve and then you could put sprinkles on top of it. And I sat there and ate with my friends and I partied on the weekend and drank and ate my way through my first three months of college. And, um, and then I came home. And uh, my family all looked at me in disgust. And my dad says, oh, you know, maybe you just shouldn't eat that last bite. You know, oh, Jenny, you'd be such a pretty girl if you were just then, my grandfather used to say to me. But maybe you could be a plus size model. Really? Yeah, they said that to me. I'm sure people said things like that to you too. And up the scale I went, right, at college. And so then I started to get obsessed. And I thought, okay, I'll just put on my Sony Walkman and I'll go run the steps at the high school and I'll lose the weight. And I did, and I went back to college in January and I was 20 pounds thinner, but still had 20 pounds sitting on me. You know, I still couldn't get a date, still wasn't asked to the fraternity sorority conventions and just considered to just keep eating and keep drinking myself to death. I'm not an alcoholic, but let me tell you, I wish I was. I tried to drink myself to death before I came to OA. Who wants to be an Overeaters Anonymous? You know, I surely didn't. I would have much rather gone to a program like Alcoholics Anonymous. Little did I know they correspond. So um college was pretty tricky. Um I made it home after my freshman year. Uh because why? Cuz I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't I couldn't live life. Um I just struggled. I've been on the struggle bus my whole life. And um you know, so then I went in and out of colleges. I never physically moved. Like I said, I've lived here my entire life. Like 3.2 miles from where I grew up is where I live today. It's from where I work. It's kind of crazy. Um But man, could I commute. I went from one college to the next college. I never finished everything and I never got a degree. But hear this, I found a guy and he gave me a degree. It's called MRS. I got married right? And I thought, oh, I've arrived. I kind of feel like Bill's story, right? Like I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a family. My family's finally going to approve of me. I'm the oldest, the firstborn. like I'm going to make everybody proud. So I married this guy because everybody thought he was wonderful. I thought he was wonderful too, by the way. Um, and I loved his family. They brought me in. They loved me. They loved me to death. And that's what I needed, right? Cause I didn't love myself, but I need other people to love me and to feel okay. And, um, so, you know, I'll just have to say that, um, I dieted down pretty stinking good to get into that dress. Um, in fact, I weigh the same amount today. This will just tell you about my yo-yoing. I weigh the same amount today as I did when I got married. Um, and it's really funny because my picture hangs up in my mom's office in the study. And I was looking at it the day. I'm like, my collarbones were sticking out. My cheeks were all like nice and, you know, thin. I could actually see my jaw when I got married. And then I went on the honeymoon and I hit the cruise ship and man, did I hit those buffets and yeah, I could get into a bikini when I got on the boat, but when I left, oh my God, they should have just rolled me off. <laughs> watch out here. She comes, (laughs) she's done with the honeymoon. Um, well, I came home and I was a wife, um, but I was pretty miserable in my marriage the first five years. Um, you know, um, my ex-husband, he swept me off my feet and then, um, I got swept into the role of being a wife and a sister-in-law and a, a niece. I have eight nieces and nephews. Um, and I just didn't really know who I was or where I was going in life. And so up the, up the ladder, the scale went, right? I went from 145 pounds up to 155, up to 175, up to 185. And then my husband looked at me and he said, I really want to have kids, but do you think you could lose weight first? And I didn't understand why it was like that, but both of his parents are morbidly obese. And I said, okay, so we started dieting down together. And that's where the obsession started again for me with exercise is I went and I started exercising and I got crazy with exercising and dieting. And I started taking pictures of myself to measure myself and to see how much weight I lost. And if I was thin enough and it just, it started the crazy roller coaster for me. You know, my weight cycle has been like an EKG reading, like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Today I'm flatlined. Thank you, God, I'm flatlined. That's only by the grace of God, you know, that I'm the same weight in this program for the last four and a half years. Um, and so, you know, I got skinny, um, I had a baby, um, and I thought life was good. Again, I had arrived. I had gave birth to the first child. He was the first boy. Ooh, la la. Like everybody's so happy and proud of me. Like, look at me. I'm Jennifer Marie. I'm just so great. And then after I had him, like it was downhill again. I just, I, I, I had huge problems after I had my son, I gained 20 pounds. So I was 220 when I had my son and I uh, stopped weighing myself after that, but literally higher than 220. I wore sweats. I wore my um, ex husband, my husband at the time I wore his shirts. Let me tell you, he's six, five and he was 200 pounds. So you just do the math on the extra large Eddie Bauer shirt that I was wearing, right? Like imagine that on my frame today, it'd be huge. I wore Birkenstocks on my feet. I had primary lymphedema. My feet and ankles were always swollen. I was miserable. Um, and so I kept dieting down again, trying to diet again. And then I got pregnant again and I thought, Oh, this is so great. And here comes another baby and this is going to make me complete again. And then, um, 38 weeks into my pregnancy, I lost my son, Jack. I gave stillbirth, um, to my sweet baby boy. Um, it's still a raw thing for me today. Um, You know, uh, no one likes to lose a child, Um, but I feel like I got nine months of absolute bliss by carrying that baby. And um, I'll never forget being in the hospital. This was my first sighting with God was um, I was laying in the hospital and they told me that there was no heartbeat and that I was going to need to deliver the baby just like I had delivered my son, Parker. And all of a sudden the room went into this foggy, foggy, like white, you remember like on the mo- the show touched by an angel. I don't know if y'all ever watched it, but you know, the screen got like frosty around the corners. And, um, I just felt like there, I was in this bubble. It was me in this bed, but there was God standing beside me. And I can tell you where the monitors were. I can tell you where the doctors were. I can tell you where the windows were and the phones were. I can tell you every person that was in that room, the room stood still. And this audible voice said to me, and it said, trust me, right? Trust me. And that's what I love about today because we're talking about trust and hope and faith um, and believing in something greater than ourselves that's going to restore us to sanity in this program. And I'd like to say I found God in that hospital room, but that was the first sighting with God that I knew God was real. Um, I left that room. I gained more weight <laughs> and I got pregnant again. <laughs> But it wasn't for five more years. And it was the hardest thing because I really wanted a baby because I thought that's what's going to make me complete. Giving birth, being able to love something, having something love me back. That's where I was searching. I was searching for God in all the wrong places. Um, So I ate my way through another pregnancy, this one even worse than the last one, because if you've ever had um, the loss of a child and you have no movement and you know what it feels like for a baby to be kicking and then you go to nothing, I ate a pack of Skittles a day, people, for 40 weeks during pregnancy, I was tested all the time because they were like, your pre-diabetic levels are through the roof. Jennifer, what are you eating? And I lied. I said nothing. I could not tell everyone how much fear I was in you know? And believe me, I'm just going to tell you guys where I was with God. I sat in a church. I sat on a women's ministry board. I taught, uh, uh, the vacation Bible school class. I had women's ministry. I had, um, youth group in my home. I had all these people. I thought I had God. I thought I had religion and what I had was nothing. I was using God as my bitch for 14 years in the church. That's what I did. And I don't know how else to say that. I mean, but just by telling you that that's all I did. I woke up every morning. I got in my chair. I did my devotional. I prayed. I did all the things that everybody else was doing. And God just would not show up for me. You know, but then he, then he brought this little girl into my life and she's beautiful. She's my sweet Kellen Paige Anderson. You know, she's a doll. And she says to me, she goes, I'm not a mistake, mom. I said, no, you're not. You're a gift from God. She goes, if we wouldn't have lost Jack, she's like, I wouldn't be here. I said, I know you are a precious gift to me. So at age 13, when I tell you that my eyes roll out of my head, every time her eyes roll out of her head, she is my gift. She is just such a joy in my life. And I wouldn't have her today if it wasn't for God. Um, so anyways, after I had my daughter, they told me, they were like, you know, you, you really need to diet down. You really need to lose this weight. And I said, okay, okay. I'll do it. Um, And things got really ugly. Things got really ugly in my marriage. Why? Um, Because I was ugly. Now, when when I was in my marriage, I will tell you that I thought my husband was a jerk and that he was all the reason responsible and why wouldn't he love me and yada, yada, yada. We struggled. He struggled with addiction. He was um, addicted to pornography, um, which if any of you have ever had that in your life, it's really hard to be physically and sexually intimate with someone who is is a pornography addict. Um, so I just, i had, I had no, no connection to him at all. Um, so I didn't go looking for love in other places. I just loved my kids to death. And I poured my life into my kids and I poured my life into the food even more. And, um, I'm just going to have you guys show my pictures now. Um, I, I have three pictures for you to see. Um, I want you to see me, um, the picture of me, the black and white one is me at my heaviest weight. That's the last time I took a picture of me. Um, I'm a photographer, a professional photographer by trade. And so I would never get in front of the camera, but that was a time in which I did. So at least 220 pounds, that's what I remember. And then this girl you see on the right-hand side, that was me when I came to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, um, I was dying. Um, and the picture of me in the middle, that's me today. That's that's healthy, Jen Marie. So thanks for sharing those pictures. I just wanted to give you a depiction of what it was like before I started going down the scale, before I started compulsively over-exercising, taking pills, doing potions, sticking myself with needles because I knew I was never going to be able to stop eating those foods. So I had to use these outside resource aids, human aids get myself to be skinny. I dieted down to nothing. That was 126 pounds. I got divorced. Why? Because I thought that getting divorced was going to solve all my problems. If he was out of the house, he wouldn't be a problem. I would be fine. Guess what? Not the case. The only people that suffered were my kids. I suffered. He suffered. You know, I wish I could say that um, he wanted me out of his life, but he didn't he tried to get back together with me for nine months, I thought oh my gosh, he's crazy, okay, I'll do whatever he says you know I stood then be willing to stick this marriage out. I couldn't do that either. so I started to drink more, I started to eat more and I started to diet more and exercise more and people always ask me after I got divorced they were like, "Oh, are in the divorce diet you're getting so skinny." No, I was just desperate, desperate to get out of, and I would do anything I could to get out. So I dieted and exercised for the next few years. Um, I went to a gym, it was an MMA gym, and my coach's name was Joey Teardrops. He had this little like mole right under his eye and he could make all the girls cry because like literally he would just run us to death. And I was in that gym seven days twice a week. And all these girls were competing for building body, build bodybuilding, um, competition. I thought that's what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to do that. I'm going to achieve that. I can be that skinny. So I did it with them and I got from 170 pounds down to 140 pounds, 5% body fat. I stood on the stage in a sparkly bikini in three inch Cinderella, crystal clear high heels. And I had arrived again, right? Do you see, like, I'm so in control. I've got this thing. No, you ain't got anything, Jennifer. Because two weeks later, I was in Costa Rica on a beach drinking margaritas from Dr. Silkworth and the doctor's opinion. He told me that he could dry out, but he couldn't keep him sober. Well, guess what? All these diets, all these pills, all these potions, all these gyms, they could get me skinny, but they couldn't keep me skinny. So that's what I've learned here from being in the rooms of readers anonymous. And how did I get here? Well, this does. Me down. And I was on Facebook one day because as a human being, I consumed with other, how people see. So I get on Facebook. I post my picture every week. I want people to see me and know me and see this transformation of loss. And that finally totally skinny. No, not any, I'm a corpse with skin on. And um, my friend on there, he posts about all this weight or, how how he stopped drinking. And I was like, Oh, that's really, really nice. But I don't have that problem. You know, I don't have that problem. I said, I have a problem with food. He goes, great. Go to OA. I go, Oh, what? He goes, Google it. Like he wouldn't give me any. Answers. So I Google overeaters anonymous on my phone while I'm talking with him. And I said, you want me to go to overeaters anonymous? It sounds like a fat farm. I am not going there. He said, He's like, AA saved my life. I'm like, okay. So I got off. He goes, try one meet. Two days later, there are six people. You know, my first journal is today is April such and such. It was five years ago. Sitting in the room, I weigh a hundred and blah 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 pounds. There's five sitting next to me. This girl's kind of nice. I guess I'll back next journal entry. And you guys said keep coming back. It works if you work it. So I kept coming back, but I didn't understand the program. You see, I sat there and they opened up this workbook, and every week we are. And then we finally got to this thing called sponsorship. And I looked at the six people and I said, Okay, which one of you can? And they looked at each other and they Not me. not I said, You guys are talking about sponsorship. How am I supposed to go through this? Program? How am I going to sane or sane? as so you guys are telling me, I need a sponsor. And they're like, Well, go to another there's a huge meeting that meets on Saturday, 67 people. Okay. So I go to this meeting and I want you to know that first of all, I had to get out on my road bike and do like 30 some odd. I was late to the meeting and I walk in, in my bike gear. And here's this group of six people sitting around in chairs. And I'm like, great. Another six people. Well, because I was so late, I missed the 60 some people and they were in a breakout session. So I sat my ass in the only available chair and they were had this. They had this book. This man had this book. Where is it? He had this little tiny book. It looked like this, right? It was blue. And he pulled it out and he went to this page and he started reading from it. And, and, and I was like, Ooh, what's that? And he, and he kept reading and he kept reading. And I was like, what is he reading about? Where is that? I don't have that book. How come I don't have that book? You know? And he talked about this. He talked about how if I was painstaking about this phase of my development, I was going to be amazed, and that I would know freedom and happiness, and that I wouldn't regret the past, and I would be serene and peaceful, and that I would feel useful, and self-pity is going to disappear, and my whole attitude and outlook on life is going to change. Those people are the 10-step promises on page 84. That's what that man read to me, and I just sat there jaw-dropped and in awe. And that man sat there in 164 pound body at 65 years of age. And he used to be 385 pounds. And I heard sanity for the first time in Overeaters anonymous. And I said, I want what he has. And I went home and I told the guy I was dating at the time, who was an alcoholic addict in recovery. I found a sponsor, this guy, he was sitting across from me and he goes, Nope, no male sponsors. So I didn't ask him to be my sponsor. And I kept going back to meetings, miserable, because I let the person I was dating tell me what to do. And I relied on that person to be my higher power for months until that person left me. And when that person finally left me and I was thinking that, you know, I can do this, I finally called that gentleman. Where where did I call him from? Let me tell you. I had ingested six convenience stores worth of food after that guy broke up with me. And I'm gonna tell you guys, you know, they talk about the phenomenon of craving that it builds right in your body. I didn't start eating those alcoholic ingredients. That's what I call them now. I didn't start eating them that day and and have a problem. No, I started eating them and eating them and eating them over and over and over again, day in, day out. I wasn't entirely abstinent and guess what happened? The phenomenon of craving built and guess what happened to a girl like me? Back to 7-Eleven, back to the Circle K. Not once, not twice, not three times, but six times. And I found myself in this back alleyway. It was Trader Joe's. And I sat in this dark alleyway. Thank you, God, for dark alleyways. I love back alleyways because all these rappers sat in this seat next to me. And the door was open to me to the left and a toothbrush was in my hand and I was vomiting out the door because I couldn't go back to Overeaters Anonymous and tell you people that I had had broken my quote-unquote abstinence, which I didn't even know what it was at the time, right? I didn't even know what the definition of abstinence was. And I just thought, I'm dying, I'm done, and I'm desperate. And you know what happened to me that night? That light, that light that shone in on my front windshield. It was like the light and the ray of God, just like that light in the room when my son died. And I just sat there and I cried and I just said, help me God, help me God, help me God. And that cry of desperation and I was done and I was doomed and I was out of ideas. I said, I am powerless over this disease of compulsive overeating, of anorexia, of bulimia, of exercise bulimia. My life has become totally 100% unmanageable. And I said, I believe that you can restore me to sanity. And I took steps one and two right there in my car and I pick up the phone and I called that man that read the Pro- Nightstep Step promises to me over a year ago. And I said, will you help me? And he said, go, go to a meeting. Okay, great. <laughs> go to a meeting. So I found a meeting, I went to a meeting that next morning at 6.30 a.m. It was a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, not of OA because I wasn't, there were just not a lot of OA meetings. And I sat in that meeting and read how it works for 120 days. I recited the third step prayer and the seven step prayer every day. And on the way in the car in the dark at 6.30 AM, I turned the radio off and I kept saying the third step prayer over and over again. I'm abandoning myself to you, God. I'm giving myself and my life, my will and my, you know, my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to you every single day. Four and a half years later, I'm doing the same thing on my knees on the side of my bed. This program has saved my life. I followed a few simple instructions, the 12 steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, this book as they're outlined, right? I admitted I'm powerless. I knew my life was unmanageable. I knew that only one person, one thing, one deity, one creative intelligence of the universe was going to restore me to sanity, right? And then this is the best part. I found hope. I found hope in all of you guys. God was skin people in the rooms that said, yeah, I ate like you, I drug like you, I drank like you, I shot up pills like you, I exercise like you. And I was like, oh, thank you, God, people that are like me, you ate out of the trash can, you ate it burnt, or you didn't eat it, you didn't eat for a week, who I am, people right here, you know, and it's just beautiful. And you know, I, I wanna get moving on to what's super important. And, and that's like the theme of this. I'm hoping that is okay. Is it okay now? It keeps going in and out, sorry. Okay, so let's see if this works. Um, we talk about hope, right? And I just wanna go on and say that hope is is step two. That's the principle of step two. That's what my big book of Alcox Anonymous tells me. I came to believe, I'm still coming to believe, right? came to believe. It's over a process of time. It's like a dimmer switch more and more each day. I get consciousness of my creator. When I first came in, God was something like this, or now something like this. Now God is like this to me. I hope God just keeps shining bigger and brighter in my life. That's how I see it. Um, I expect the promises. That's the hope that I found in you all, you know, you guys told me that there were promises in that book. My sponsor told me, and I believed that I was going to get those promises. How a practical program of action, the 12 steps, the prayers that are embedded in the practical program of action, and then the promises that come true. And that's how I know it, right? I was thinking this morning, and this is what I wrote. I hoped, I had a cherished desire, right? I wanted something to happen and be true. I wanted to be sane, like this man across from me. I had a desire for things to change. I wanted things to be better. I wanted the situation better. I wanted my life to be better. What did I have to do? I had to believe. I had to believe that there was something bigger than me that was going to restore me to sanity. I had to have trust in it. I had to have confidence in it. I had to have the conviction that, yes, this, you know, I examined. I examined you all. You were the evidence, and even more than that, like I was taking a sponsee through step two today. I said, "Thank you so much. You're helping me today. Like I'm seeing God today all over. He's bringing this this whole hope thing to me. Um, you know, we we're talking about God." You know where i saw god it didn't matter i could see god as the doorknob or the clock on the wall at first today i see god everywhere in people in situations in my job in sponsees everywhere um today i see god in a rainbow like i look at a rainbow do you think that god is a god of order do you think god is capable of doing the most miraculous things for you he provides this rainbow that comes out. It doesn't come out on a 90 degree day, people. It doesn't come out during a snowstorm. It comes out only after it rains. Perfect order. And have you ever seen a rainbow that comes out and is purple, orange, blue, yellow, red? Not me. It comes out and it shines in majesty. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and perfect purple. And it comes in this magnificent arch. And the beginning and the end, I can't find it. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to judge it. All I have to do is believe God either is or he isn't. And today, without a shadow of a doubt, after doing the steps, I believe as a result that God is, you know, and do I have pockets of agnosticism? Yes, I do. Am I scared to death to get into a relationship again today after one ended for three years? Absolutely. But God says, I am here. I am with you. I will provide for you. He never left me in that that delivery room. He never left me in that back alleyway. He's not going to leave you today, Jennifer Marie. That's what he tells me. So if I believe in God, he will bring this hope. And you know what hope does? It helps me to stay calm, even amidst the storms. When my son started doing drugs and when he was at age 15 and he's at age 19 and you heard he's at Syracuse university going to school, right? Like God helps me to remain calm. I had a place to go. I prayed. I meditated. I did the step works around it. I leaned into my sponsor. I leaned into God. He helps things to be peaceful when hard events emerge, right? When my daughter, I find out she's Snapchatting and breaking all the rules on her phone, guess what? God gives me what I need. He sits down with me and he says, show her the beam of recovery. Show her what it's like to be on the beam or off the beam. My daughter now knows the 12 principles of Overeaters Anonymous. She doesn't know that they're the 12 principles, but she knows we can live in entire honesty in step one, or we can live in the dark right? We can live in integrity and stand above the line and do what's right and noble and true and right. Or we can hide underneath the table and live under integrity and hide on our computer and on our phone and do things at 12 o'clock midnight that we're not supposed to do. That's what this program is teaching me. I get to live out these principles in all my affairs with my kids, in my relationships, with my sponsees, with my coworkers. They even talk 12 step and they don't even know it. I love it right? Oh, Jen's got this new buzzword. I'm like, it ain't new. It's 12 step, but y'all can just keep on saying it, right? Um, Hope believes that I'm going to get through it. I'm going to get through it. How do I know I'm going to get through it? The butterflies that hang on the back wall in my office here. I share it with my daughter. She created this beautiful oasis. Um, The butterfly, right? The butterfly gets through it. He gets through the endurance, the change right? That ugly little caterpillar who drug his tummy through the mud. He eventually gets wrapped up in this chrysalis, right? And what does he emerge? He emerges free to fly, beautiful above the entire garden. He can see everything now. I feel like that's what God does for me on a yearly basis. As I walk through the steps with him, I don't go through the steps just once, I'm going through them again for the fourth time. And God is showing me and, you know, bringing me new hope, new, new, new faith, more joy in my life. Is it even possible to have more joy? Come on, seriously. Like, I just have to keep wondering. Um, hope reminds me that um, I made it through the tough times. I always have to remember that the rear view mirror is small, but the but the front windshield of my car it is broad. It is roomy, right? And I can see the highway, the happy road, right? I, that's where I get to trudge. And I am, I'm out there and I glance back in that rearview mirror. So I can remember what it was like, what it was like to be a mommy monster, what it was like to be hateful and mean to people, what it was like to beat up a girl. And when I was 10 years old, right? I can remember all those things. I don't have to go there, but I say, thank you, God, for changing a girl like me. Thank you for, thank you for saving a girl like me. Um, so hope, this is where it transitions, right? Hope teams with faith and it believes the impossible. This is where faith has to come in. Okay. So step three, remember I told you, I took steps one and two in my car. And then steps three was I made a decision to turn my will in my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God as I understood him, as I understand him. And like I told you, my understanding of God in the car that day, the next morning on the way to that meeting is so much different from today. I am calling God, Lord, he is deity. He is, he is creator over the universe. Like I'm kind of going back to the old religious Lord, to be honest with you, you know, like all the things I learned in the Bible, every book, every chapter, um, maybe that had something to do with my growth and development. I don't, you know, like the big book says, I I make use of what religious people have to offer. I don't poo-poo anybody. I listen to everything. I'll listen to Buddha, I'll listen to whoever, uh, whatever. Uh, I'll listen to it, right? So in step three, it's faith. Faith, that's that's the principle. It's belief and confidence that there's something out there that's bigger than me, and I need to have that faith, right? And from that faith, guess what happens? Joy. You guys talk about this joy. I call it, we call it, my sponsor and I call it blissing out. Who doesn't want to bliss out? I like bling, but I like bliss even better, right? I want to be a state in a state of joy and bliss all all day, every day. And let me tell you, last week I was not in a state of bliss or joy. God was taking me through a hellacious 10 step. This week, another 10-step, more hellacious. And it's always me that's the problem, right? Like if I'm not the problem, there is no solution in this program or in my life. So um, but what is joy? Joy is not an idea, joy is not a conviction. I can't be persuaded. It's not something I can decide to do. Joy is in my soul. And when I do steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, I'm uncovering, discovering, and discarding all the things about myself that I never knew. And you know what? Joy is down below all of that right there with God. God brings on the joy for me. At least that's my experience. I'll just speak for myself. But when I get rid of all of the fear and the resentment and the anger and the worry that's been bogging me, me down my whole life, that was blocked off by the food, at, you know, to hear, it's like, oh my gosh, I can finally have freedom. My soul is free. This guy, he talks, um, he's in 12 step, but he does a lot of OA retreats. I've heard him three times. And he says, we're like a vessel for God. Right. This clear, clean vessel. That's my soul. And I don't ever want to put anything in it. That's going to hinder me. I don't want to put any food back into this body. That would be alcoholic to me. I don't want to do any behaviors that will, that will hinder me from, you know, this amazing new connection with higher power. Um, I want my soul to be free. So I have to keep free of anger, resentment, fear, worry, 10, 11, and 12. I got to pray. I got to meditate. I got to work with others. I got to carry this message for fun and for free. My boss always asked me, what are you doing this weekend? I said, I'm going to Wisconsin. She goes, you're getting more Zoom miles. I said, yes. She says, sit down. And I sit down at her desk. She wants to know about over You want to know why? Because five years ago, she gave me a 90 day probationary period to save my job because I was a raging lunatic in the office. I was a bull in a china shop. I was the biggest bitch. Nobody wanted to come and work with me on event days. I think my internet's back. Is it back? <laughs> it keeps yeah. going in and out, but my boss sits there because she wants to know about this transformational process. She wants to know what it is that's changed a girl like me. Right. And I said, well, and I, am an overeaters anonymous. She knows that I'm speaking to people. She knows that I'm talking to sponsees when I leave for lunch. And at day when my earbuds go in and I'm waving at her in her office. She's like, go get them. You know what I mean? She sees it because it's spilling out. It's spilling out onto work. It's spilling out into life. That's the joy. So what is the joy in me today? It's orientation of my heart. It's my heart that radiates. It's the deep cheerfulness and the gladness called an alignment with God it's called a spiritual I didn't sign up for joy I didn't like ask for joy I have this friend in program he says I'm changing your name on my phone I said what I said I didn't get married I didn't do anything he's like no you're joyful Jen oh right like <laughs> I said change my name I'm all good with it I'm so grateful I'm joyful Not every day I'm joyful, you heard me, I've been resentful the last two weeks, I do inventory. I am not perfect, I am still a human being. Um, But the spirit that lives inside of me, it transforms my heart. That's what this program does. I put down the food, I embark on the journey. I listen, I'm guided by my sponsor. An undisciplined girl becomes disciplined. I wake up at four in the morning, people. I know you think I'm crazy. I say my prayers on my knees. I take a shower because I can't pray, and meditate. I'll fall back asleep. So I take a shower, then I pray and meditate. Just works for me, right? And while I'm meditating, I'm closing my eyes with my hands and my palms to the air because I'm surrendered to the spirit today. And I'm praying "Thy will not might be done over and over again until I melt like butter into a pan. I am so sorry over anonymous, that I use that. And this is what it is. I melt, I wanna melt right? I'm going to disappear into what God wants for me today. I ask him for an intuitive thought. I ask him for decisions. I ask him, help me, God, when I need to pause, when I'm agitated or doubtful, give me the right words, the right thoughts, the right actions. Help me to be of service. Help me to love you. Help me to love others. I am telling you, I was a crazy, mean, lunatic bitch, I ran people over in my life. My ex-husband, I don't have any friends outside of Oeders Anonymous, you all. Zero friends. I I killed everybody. I ran them off. I ran them over and backed up over them. But today I have friends. I'm going to California for Mother's Day weekend to be with my friends in recovery. Wow, they're taking me to a beach and they're celebrating me on Mother's Day? Thank you, they had that. I have a boss who calls me on the weekends in, right? She's going to ask me if she does it tomorrow. She's going to ask me on Monday. She always does. So this spiritual development that happens as a result of the steps, right? I always say, God's giving me more of an opportunity to grow spiritually. When do do it with every resentment, with every fear, with every upset, that's what I'm looking at. I'm watching, right? I'm a watchdog in the program of O Readers Anonymous. And even better than that, I told you guys this. I never graduated from college. I only got a degree in MRS. And now I'm divorced. So I don't have, you know, I don't have this title of MRS anymore. But I have a, I have these special letters that come after my name. And if you're recovered in this program, you have them too. You're a CIP. My friend Len in California taught me this while he was um, sharing out of his hot tub. He always shared out of his hot tub. And he said this, you know what, Jen, for the rest of your life, you're going to do three things. The C is you're going to continue That's step 10. You're going to continue to watch for these things to pop up in you. And when, you know, when those things happen, you're going to do what the big book says, you're going to run it through a one through nine. That's step 10 and P or yeah, no, C I, I I. I'm forgot the I, the I is <laughs> you're, you're going to get in tune with me, right? You're going to get this intuition from God right? You're going to pray. You're going to meditate. That's what you're going to do in step 11. You're going to have a connection with your conscious contact, your creator, your higher power, whatever you want to call it. And P for the CIP is you're going to practice these principles in all your affairs with your kids, you know, at work, in all your relationships, in Overeaters Anonymous, wherever it may be, homes, occupations, affairs. That's what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous says. So I'm super, super glad that, um, you know, the disappointment, the, uh, delusion, but the discipline of this program has shown me through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous is that, um, you know, when I tap through in this step work, um, hope springs eternal, um, not from me, it comes from God. So what am I full of? When I came to this program, I was so full of me, the committee of three. Me, myself, and I. And I pray to God every single morning as I abandon myself to him. May I be full of you. May I be full of God. May I be full of the spirit, right? Transform me, use me, and just have me be the way you would make me. That's how I can show up and be joyful and have hope today. And that's where I'll pass. Thanks wow Jen thank you and i i'm just kind of like amazed and wowed it, i'm it felt like you talked about 15 minutes really it went so fast